0: If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes, share The Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread The Real Food Love.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Real Food Reel. In today's show, we are joined by Tommy Wood from Nourish, Balance, Thrive and we're going to dive straight in and explore ketogenic diets, endurance training and what mistakes you need to avoid. Hi, Tommy. Hi. Hi. Really good to have you back on the show today. Looking forward to exploring this topic together. So, last time we spoke, I know you were still um, wrapping up some studies. So, just give us a bit of a, uh, a quick elevator pitch as to what's changed there for us.
0: Yeah. So, I think last time we spoke, I was just finishing up my PhD in Oslo in uh, brain metabolism and physiology, and I finished that and uh, since moved to the US. I now live in Seattle, and. I so my day job is still working in the same kind of research field I did my PhD. in. so looking at ways to treat uh, brain injury, particularly in, in babies with brain injury. Uh, but on the side of that, and increasingly, uh, I work with nourish balance thrive, which is a an, an online uh, clinic, I guess, uh, we work with people uh, purely remotely, largely athletes, um, athletes of all levels, um, basically, trying to find ways to either improve their performance or recover their performance if they've had some kind of some health issues, and sort of take a real um, holistic approach to all of that, including uh, lifestyle and diet. And we do some some uh, quite a bit of uh, biochemical testing to sort of look under the hood at the same time. So that's kind of really where my passion lies. And that's what I'll spend more and more time doing in the future.
1: Yeah, amazing. I love what you guys are doing and I'd really love to hear about, um, you know, what you're observing from both a health and performance point of view when maybe you're working with an endurance athlete specifically that's um, experimented with a ketogenic diet but maybe isn't experiencing lots of success.
0: Yes. So that's actually turned out to be what I spend most of my time doing. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) and it's um, it's basically finding reasons why uh, a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet isn't working for people because that's often what what happens. They come to us because maybe they started uh, a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet and they thought that that would support the particular sport that they're doing. Um, and then you know initially maybe they felt great. Or, you know, even from the start, they didn't feel as good as they expected to. And then either they didn't get the results they wanted or their uh, performance started to decrease. Um, and so then we spent a lot of time digging down into that. And there's, you know, maybe people have some nutrient deficiencies or some underlying issues. But what, you know, I tend to see most frequently uh, is people that uh, usually aren't eating enough calories um, are. Uh, not fueling correctly for the type of training that they're doing Uh, maybe they're doing the wrong kind of training so we we spend we see a lot of people who spend a lot of time in the kind of Um, around the lactate threshold, you know, sort of like threshold training, really punishing themselves for long periods of time um, when maybe they want to spend, you know, a lot more time being less intense and then some time being even more intense and sort of leave out that, that middle area. Um, That definitely seems to uh, provide a lot of benefit to people. And then actually uh, restricting carbohydrates, too much is, is something that, that we tend to see a lot of. And, you know, even for, uh, the endurance athlete who we know will benefit from being fat adapted, uh, to a certain extent, you know, being really restrictive on carbohydrate intake and, and calorie intake over, overall tends to be one of the, one of the biggest problems that we see.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And whilst it's, you know, obviously not great that the athletes are experiencing this, it is a relatively easy fix. So just in that sort of, um, Topic: Can we stay with calories to start? And we'll got, sort of mm-hmm. go through um, each individual subtopic. So, yep. what's what do you think is happening with the whole energy balance side of things? Do you feel like maybe it's coming back to our um, our old school? You know, eat less, move more, calorie fallacy. Is that something that you feel is playing a role? And and what's happening with the whole um, you know lack of calories?
0: Yeah, I think there's two parts of it. Um, you know, maybe one absolutely is, is psychological. And yeah. I think, uh, particularly, um, endurance athletes, because they know it's so important to have a good, uh, you know, you know, power to weight ratio, then they obviously want to minimize their weight. So they're very afraid of gaining weight. So there's, there's kind of a, um, there's, there's, even if it's subconscious, you know, this really worrying about overeating and, and particularly when uh, you come from maybe the low carb mindset where you've been told how bad these carbohydrates are for you, and then they become this thing that you actively restrict. And then mm-hmm. when you restrict them, you can, at the same time, you sort of actively restrict calories o- overall. Um, but then at the same time, uh, we definitely know that when people go on a low carb or ketogenic diet, they definitely seem to be more satiated so we you know so so maybe they're just not even hungry you know despite um you know we will have some people who spend you know hours training every day you know you could be racking up 15 20 25 hours of training a week you know and you know they they may be only eating one or two thousand calories a day just because they're not hungry the rest of the time and actually the training load can contribute to that and you know, depending on the intensity of the training can, can drive down hunger at the same time, then you add a low carb ketogenic diet and then, you know, you just, you're just you just not hungry. So a lot, a lot of what we do is end up having to sort of force people to eat more. Um, and that might be, you know, we don't often track calories except for to try and show somebody how little they're eating rather than how much they're eating. So we kind of use it the opposite way to to how other people might think about it. So I think those two things together uh, can sort of uh, drive people to to really be under
1: Yeah, you make some amazing points because I'm seeing something quite similar. You know, obviously, the world was fat phobic for so long, and we've seen what's happened with health crises and imbalanced hormones and the obesity epidemic because we all ate carbohydrates instead of fats. But now, with the increased awareness and research and popularity of LCHF, we're now seeing people becoming carb phobic. And, you know, Ultimately, for a lot of athletes in particular because of their, their um, output and obviously their you know, increased requirements when compared to a sedentary person, it's causing a lot of problems because they're actually going too far down the rabbit hole where we know low-carb doesn't mean no-carb, but it's being interpreted that way a lot.
0: Yeah definitely and and you, you reminded me of something which is luckily uh, we're seeing less of it now but there was there was definitely this point where people uh, so we, we have the old fat phobia and then we replace it with a carb phobia. And then when people um, went low carb, they then forgot that they also had to in- eat more fat. Yes. So then, you know, they were basically <laughs> afraid of eating anything. Um, and that definitely contributed to part of the problem. I think people are getting better at that. But, mm. you know, that fat phobia is a real, is really something that the, the people hang on to because it's been sort of part of the psyche for so many decades. So it, that's one thing that you really need to work around if you're gonna, if you're going to try and fuel yourself
1: this way yeah i agree and it's for some people a real journey because they might only know low fat calorie counting obviously you know that might be what they've been exposed to for their entire life so you know it's not something that they're going to be okay to completely reverse overnight necessarily um but that's why i'm really um passionate about the real food message because you know when you can educate someone That the foods you're asking them to eat, even if they do contain fats, they're in a very natural whole food source, then I think the penny can start to drop as to, you know, what is healthy and that these fats can actually help you burn fat rather than store fat, which is what we've been um, brainwashed to believe for so long. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And then the satiety point I think is really interesting because, you know, again, we don't encourage calorie counting per se but um it's also really important to be aware of how much food you're getting so the male clients that i work with um in general get you know really amazing satiety that they ask me do i even need to eat two meals a day and and then you kind of walk the tightrope between still needing nutrients but not um you know not eating to anything but intuition so it is quite a fine line don't you think
0: uh, definitely. And actually, I think it came out yesterday or today uh, from when we were, we were recording this. I, I wrote a, an article on the Knowledge Balance website about a smoothie that I make mm. for myself, um, which is basically, you know, lots of uh, frozen vegetables and various things and some some powders, some vegetable powders, just like get sort of like really nutrient dense mm. and then, you know, some avocado or uh, maybe banana or coconut milk or, or whatever. So it, that's kind of a way that we've been something that we've been using with our athletes, particularly those who are struggling to get in enough calories to kind of still get some really nutrient-dense food in, but sometimes it's easier just to have that as a drink because, you know, the number of meals you need to eat uh, can sometimes become pretty tiring. So, you know, if you're doing that correctly, and I'm definitely not suggesting, you know, loads of fruit juices and all that kind of stuff, Mm. but if you can make it around, um, you know, vegetable-based, some berries are always great, and then, you know, some kind of, you know, your favorite fat source, maybe even some carbohydrates, depending on your training, you know, that's definitely one way to kind of work around that Uh, which we've been finding works really well.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that smoothie landed in my inbox, or the recipe did anyway, this morning. So (laughs) I will um, have a closer look at that and pop it into the show notes for those that um, haven't had the delivery. So, yeah, that's great. So then with calories, obviously, it is really about the awareness to make sure that you're looking at getting the right energy in. Um, What do you teach your um, clients or athletes with regards to you know, periodizing their calorie requirements. Obviously, endurance athletes might be doing one hour of training a day, but they might be doing six or more. So do you teach like some scaling of intake relative to output there?
0: Yeah, um, I think there's, you know, if if somebody is, isn't is struggling with their calorie intake, then they can be very intuitive about it and that, that's fine. You know, some people will just be hungry when, when they need to be and then less hungry when, when, when they don't. Um, one of the best ways that we find actually to – to, to basically increase hunger and increase intake in line with training is actually to eat some carbohydrates. And, <laughs> um, if you, if you eat some carbs then actually your hunger seems to come back pretty quickly and then that will drive you to eat more, um, especially when you need it. So one of the uh, favorite things we've been, we've been using with people is, uh, something like a sleep low approach, yeah. um, with carbohydrates. So basically you'll do something, um, Gly- uh, glycolytic so you'll deplete glycogen say in the evening um this is particularly for people who are doing maybe you know more than one training session a day um or you, i mean you could definitely do it if you're just training once a day so you do something glycogen depleting then you eat low carb the rest of the day the next morning you have more of a an aerobic uh type session um and then after that uh, you refuel and then that's going to sort of uh, replenish glycogen and, and and allow you to get in a, a, a greater amount of calories the next day to kind of to, to to replenish what you've used but at the same time you've used that um glycolytic session being low carb um an aerobic session the next day to kind of uh cement some of those uh fat uh, metabolism adaptations so you kind of get the best of both worlds and we've been using that um to really great effect
1: yeah that's a really good strategy and obviously then you know showing the athlete they can um Start to increase their carbohydrate gram, which is sort of our next subtopic there. So, I think this is a really, really important area to be quite clear on because, you know, there's a difference between, you know, obviously strict keto and what an LCHF template can look like for the individual, dependent on things like, you know, metabolism and training and uh, intensity. So, how do you, um, you know, how do you educate? the athlete as to where they should start and that sort of intuitive approach moving forward to grams of carbohydrates per day
0: yeah so i think it's really important to remember that so particularly if you're going for a ketogenic style approach is that when you're when you're aiming for absolute performance your ketone levels your absolute ketone levels don't really tell you very much Mm. so if you're um aiming for therapeutic ketosis. So if you're going on a ketogenic diet for a neurological disease, uh, for certain types of cancer, then you need your uh, ketones to be at a certain level and your glucose to be at a certain level in order to get the best therapeutic effects, or at least we think that's the case. If you're an athlete, what you want is the metabolic adaptation. You don't necessarily need your ketones to be one or two millimolar. So I think you need to repeat uh,
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so if you're an if you're an athlete it doesn't matter what your ketone levels are it really doesn't and um, what matters much more is how you've adapted and then how well you perform so you equally want to be able to use uh, the best uh, source of energy for the the type of uh, exercise that you're doing, which also includes uh, being able to utilize carbohydrate when you're doing high intensity work. So you want to be able to use uh, all um, substrates across the spectrum. And, you know, most of the time, maybe your ketones, you know, if you tested your, your uh, blood beta, hydroxybutyrate, maybe, you know, it's, it's only 0.5, or maybe it's less than that. But if you're eating and training such in such a way that fat is your main energy source, then you are absolutely still, you know, in the right place. So I think moving people away from worrying about absolute ketone levels is really important. Um, And, you know, we see some people who can even be in fairly significant ketosis despite or, you know, with eating 100 or 150, 200 grams of carbohydrate a day. Um, And so I actually often... So if if somebody's going low, low carb, I usually start them on something like one gram uh, per kilo of body weight per day. And that is not... um, that's not going to get you really rapidly into ketosis and I will never pretend that it will. But, you know, these people are going to be doing some, um, in, you know, periods of intense training. Uh, you know, the training load is going to be fairly high, you know, they can definitely cycle that in sort of like a targeted ketogenic diet type thing. So it mainly comes around, uh, mainly comes around training, either before or during training, maybe uh, just after training. And then the rest of the time they can be low carb and, you know, they'll, you know, as their metabolism improves, they'll move in and out of ketosis fairly easily. So, I I tend to focus on that. Sometimes we can bring that down. Often we'll need to bring that up. You know, we see a lot of people, um, it's maybe less so for some endurance athletes, although it definitely depend. But when people are doing some slightly more, you know, higher intensity stuff. So we have some, uh, some uh, obstacle course racers we have some crossfitters uh, we even have a figure skater um who we've been working with recently and, and you know all these guys definitely need more carbs than you'd eat on a, on a traditional ketogenic diet so you know based on where people you know how people feel we will then sort of move up and down but that's generally where i'd start
1: yeah, I think that's great because obviously, you know, your carbohydrate requirements are very relative to your intensity. Like that's sure. that's what we really need to be mindful of, that traditional ketogenic diets, you know, aren't really talking about the athletes that you and I work with. So, you know, when you sort of dive in the deep end and maybe you've got an A-type personality, you take everything so literally, that's when, you know, you can lose sight of health for, for some purported um, performance goal, which you would never actually achieve. So, I think that's you know what we really need to um, you know push home in terms of a message is that you know obviously it's not a zero carb diet, but that it is something that is really really individualised. So you know don't stop working to try and figure that out.
0: Yeah, definitely, and don't mm. be you know if you don't if you don't feel good eating the way that you're currently eating it's obviously not working for you and actually rather than what what people tend to do as a perfect it's human nature and regardless of the diet or your goals what people do is when something isn't working for them they always try and restrict more whereas maybe what you need to do is add more back in and then you'll get the results that you want
1: Which is, you know, such good news to be told that you can actually exercise less (laughs) and eat some sweet potato. To me, it's like bloody good news. So let's let's not try and put ourselves back into the calorie counting days where life was hell and we were hungry all the time. Like gone are the days of having to to do that to achieve health and performance. So, you know, people should be really happy to hear this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, and it's exactly that. You know what I always try and remind people of, and this, you know, this goes beyond athletes. Is that by the time you're doing this stuff, by the time you're thinking about the quality of your food, by the time you're, you know, removing all those refined things, maybe you're you're addressing some other aspects of your lifestyle. You're already so much better than like 99.9% of the population. Um, So you're doing like just doing that is is going to put you in such a great place. So then, you know restrict you know um, resisting the temptation to just make that more and more restrictive is probably something that we can really should be allowing ourselves to do
1: i know but i think that comes back to the psychology that you touched on earlier because because of what we you know thought we had to do for so long like i spent my teenage years and early 20s just hungry all the time yeah. and it's miserable and it it you know it makes you consumed by food it certainly doesn't result in health or a healthy relationship with food so you know we're just i think we're ingrained to think it has to be hard and so you know therefore our our brain deviates to like you said restricting more which isn't the answer necessarily yeah definitely yeah fascinating so let's talk about the timing next in terms of carbohydrates specifically um I believe you guys are quite similar to what we, um, you know, uh, advise in terms of, you know, post-exercise consumption when you've got really great insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk more about that and then other strategies that you might have in terms of when to consume those whole food carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, so we, you know, even with with some people, uh, we will – Include non whole food carbohydrates. So sometimes, you know, we'll find some way to use a more refined carbohydrate source And that doesn't need to be something that's very high GI It could be, you know, something similar to like a you can super starch or yeah. uh, we have an an MCT Powder that has a small amount of available glucose in it because that actually helps you use the MCTs better um, But we you know, you can actually we, we would we would usually recommend that people uh, just take that immediately after training just mm-hmm. because you know That's easy and then you can replenish glycogen stores but equally if, if you're not going to do anything glycolytic for you know for a day or so then actually you'll replenish those glycogen stores pretty much regardless of, of, of what you do, you probably don't even need to eat that many carbohydrates, ha, carbohydrates to do that. Um, but sometimes it's useful to have that sort of small incident spike in that influx of glucose, because that does, you know, various good things, you know, make sure your hormones are in a good state, because that sort of um, hormonal signaling is really important uh, to tell your body that you're in a, in a good en- energy balance. So that's kind of a good time. And we tend to use that. Um, if some people Um, are having want to eat more carbohydrates, but having a, you know, a large glucose response to that meal, you know, maybe you need to alter where your carbohydrate sources are coming from. And that's, you know, we're we're learning more and more about how super variable that is. So like one person can eat a banana and have no glucose response. The other person will have a massive glucose response. And then the opposite will happen if they eat a cookie. That's like the, Mm. there was a really famous paper that came out of uh, of Israel last year, which, which essentially showed that, and that will depend on your genetics your metabolic health, your gut microbiome, all of that stuff. So you can definitely play with where your carbohydrates are coming from. Um, And maybe some small amount of blood glucose monitoring uh, could sort of help guide you with that. And Rob Wolf has a really good book called Wired to Eat, where he has his uh, carb test, where he sort of gets you to to test the carbs and give you, you know, maybe a better or more, um, you know, less of like a massive swing in blood sugar. Uh, so some people, if, if people really want to sort of uh, play with their data, they can definitely do that. Um, Otherwise, you could if you consume your carbohydrates uh, before or during exercise, then actually you'll get you'll get a much uh, smaller blood glucose peak, you'll get a much smaller insulin peak. So you can kind of play with that um, around training, depending on basically depending on how you're responding to the carbohydrates, and then and how your your goals at the same time. So if you if you're having very long training sessions, then I would definitely recommend maybe a small glucose source during the training. If you're doing you know very prolonged rides, um, but if you're just doing sort of short intense, maybe uh, just just some high intensity sprints or something, then after your after your training session would, would be a good time
1: yeah excellent I think this um, reminds me of another point I wanted to discuss with um, how low carb can be definitely interpreted as no carb mm-hmm. what I see occasionally is people that are then gonna going to try and do five or six hours of training on like an Atkins bar or something super low yeah. carb and this is a really important um, point for us to explain more when it comes to you know energy systems and fuel utilization because i feel like this is a big mistake people are you know under fueling and then you know wondering why they're not recovering and performing well so can you talk to me about that
0: yeah definitely and this is something that we try and talk about more and more mm. um which is that in order to maximally benefit from um the, the beta oxidation of fats or ketones as an energy source, you do need either protein or carbohydrate to undergo something called anaplerosis. Yeah. And what, what that basically is, is you're replenishing something called oxaloacetate in the mitochondria, in the Krebs cycle. And what that oxaloacetate does is it binds to the acetyl-CoA, which is where most of the energy is coming from, from fats and ketones, if you're fat adapted or on a ketogenic diet, and it binds to those and then allows your Krebs cycle to turn, if you wanna call it that way, and then it allows you to move your energy through the mitochondria. If you're on a ketogenic diet, oxaloacetate is depleted and it ends up going uh, for gluconeogenesis. So it's used because, you know, you're not eating any carbohydrates. So then you you sort of shuttle that towards making some glucose because you do need some glucose. So if you're a ketogenic or low carb athlete, you need to keep replenishing that oxaloacetate so that you can benefit from the, the main energy source, which is fat, mainly for, for low carb athletes. Um, and so, the I think, so you still need some kind of glucose source and you'd rather it be a glucose source than a protein source because if it's a protein source, then it's probably coming from your muscles and you definitely want, don't <laughs> want to be breaking those down to do that. Um, and the I think the best uh, study... That shows this is. I assume you've heard of the the faster study that was run course, by uh, yes. <laughs> Finney and Bolak, right? So it's just the archetypal study. You know, I always wish there were there were other things. They, there were so many things they could have measured, and mm. they one and which I, I I lament the fact that they didn't. But one thing they did measure was glycogen, and you know these guys did a three hour submaximal run. The keto guys depleted glycogen just as fast as the high carb guys so so even though they were using fat as their primary fuel source they still needed that glycogen to do something and they weren't burning it for fuel necessarily like the high carb guys probably were what they were doing is they were using it to regenerate oxaloacetate so they could burn fat for fuel so the the glycogen storage and glycogen usage and that carbohydrate source was still potentially um Performance limiting, right? So if you want to get the most out of your fats or ketones, or whatever it is your main energy source as a fat adapted athlete, you still need a glucose source to make use of that. It's just you're using that glucose for something else. So if you're absolutely restricting that at some point, you're going to run out of the ability to use the fat that it is you're trying to use uh, um, to, to fuel your performance.
1: Yeah, and that was such a beautiful way of explaining things. I mean, we always say that fat burns in a carbohydrate flame, but that obviously took things to the next level and beyond because it is really important to think about, you know, the way human physiology works. So I sometimes think a mistake that um, fat adapted athletes make is they think that they're just burning fat like it happens by itself, where yeah. obviously it's, <laughs> it's always a you know a, a seesaw essentially in terms of you know fuel preference but there's so much more to it to allow it to happen really efficiently.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And mm. uh, an overly restricting, um, you know, particularly carbohydrate, is, is, is definitely going to be rate limiting uh, for, for a large number of athletes if, if they take it too far.
1: Yeah, absolutely, which is a really important point because I'm not sure if this is your experience, but what I've kind of seen in Australia is that it's become this competition as to how long you can go without fueling. Like I just rode four hours on water and it's become this pissing contest, pardon the pun. And, um, you know, I just think like that we've got to move away from it trying to be a competition because of the detrimental effects for performance, recovery, health, athletic longevity.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's so – it's so hard to to unpick that stuff, and, and it's it's very similar uh, with training intensity. So I, you know, and uh, I'm sure this happens with anybody who trains with anybody else. So, um, you know, if you're out on your bike with other guys, or it used to happen to me. So when I was rowing, um, we'd sit on our rowing machine and we do an hour at UT2 utilization two. It's meant to be like purely aerobic. Uh, it would be like uh, a sort of a mafetone level that's what it's meant to be in terms of intensity but you've got a guy sitting next to you um, and he pushes a little bit harder and then you push a little bit harder you push a little ho- bit harder by the end you're absolutely crushed you know and this was supposed to be like a nice aerobic workout and it you know it can be exactly the same with like how how much you restrict or how hard you push yourself from all these different angles when actually you know it's only going to be detrimental to to your overall performance but there's this like psychological thing that once the you want to push harder, work harder, restrict more. So it's kind of you've got to unravel that psychological aspect, you know, of competing against people in that way. Which I mean, it's difficult. I, I understand it; it's human nature, but it's sort of it is potentially um, it is potentially making you perform worse in the long term.
1: Oh, it's an absolute big part of the equation, and you're doing a great job with my helping my segues today because training is our, <laughs> training is our next little subtopic. Because um, I see this as well. Like the big mistake is that we actually don't train, you know, easy when it's supposed to be easy and hard when it's supposed to be hard, yeah. you know, not to mention that the refueling can then be limited. So how can we improve, um, you know, that that training side of things and, and then we'll move on to the refueling?
0: Yeah, So I think the the best way to that that we found this I mean it's worked really well for a number of athletes that we've worked with you know at all levels uh, and 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 particularly people at the higher level which is basically moving away. Um, moving away from that sort of really hard, prolonged work Mm. around threshold, which I mentioned earlier. Mm. So moving towards more of a polarized training model, we'd call it. it. And there's some really good evidence for that. Um, And it would basically uh, entail spending around uh, 80% of your time truly aerobic, so uh, uh, below the aerobic threshold or at the aerobic threshold. So before you'd see any rise in lactate, um, and uh, people will probably uh, be aware or know of the math tone method mm-hmm. or the math method. So that's basically 180 uh, minus your age would be your target heart rate, and you spend most of your time um, there. And actually, you know, to start with, you feel like you're not pushing yourself hard enough. But that's just because you've trained yourself to think that you need to crush yourself in order to get better, which is actually definitely not 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 the case and then the rest of the time uh, you'll do you know super high intensity so like short sprints like 30 uh, 30 seconds or a minute you know maybe a couple of minutes with long periods of rest um and you know with by doing sort of that completely separate types of of training polarized at either end of the spectrum that's when you get the best of both worlds essentially you train all the metabolic pathways um but you don't spend any time in that sort of like crushingly difficult um uh, uh, sort of intensity in the middle which actually doesn't necessarily make you any faster uh, it could be good for like mental toughness you know which can <laughs> then translate to a race but that's literally about it um so so it's definitely better to, to spread that intensity out rather than sort of focus in the middle all the time
1: yeah absolutely i love the polarized model and we've had Phil on the show many times, so hopefully okay, our listeners are avoiding the black hole <laughs> these yeah. days. Anyway, um, and so then in line with that, from a refueling point of view, I know we've sort of touched on this, but just to just to make it pretty crystal clear, um, what are your recommendations around, you know, how you would refuel differently for one of the aerobic sessions that you mentioned? So, one hundred and eighty minus your age from a heart rate point of view versus what your requirements are when you're glycolytic
0: yeah so there i mean obviously uh i mean the simplest answer is that when you're you know around the aerobic training sessions then you know any kind of um any kind of calorie source will probably be fine, depending on what you're um, most suited to, what makes you feel good. I think if you're doing a very prolonged aerobic session, then like I said, you know, a a small uh, carbohydrate, amino acid, fat source. um, Again, what works well for you is definitely a good idea. You know, after the more glycolytic training, then definitely you can focus more on, on on carbohydrates, but with a caveat that if you're doing something like the sleep low approach, then depending on how you're cycling, your training, uh, you, you, you can, um, you can play around with that. Um, and there's definitely, there's one thing that I think is potentially important, which is that when people, um, when people go on a low carbohydrate diet, they're sort of their sprint performance, Uh, Tends to drop right just because they haven't necessarily got exactly the same substrates available and you know If they sort of timed themselves or looked at their acute power output, maybe that would drop slightly Uh, And then they tend to avoid that work because they're not as good at it as they used to be Um, And I think that kind of compounds the problem So you can definitely spend some periods of time as long as you're eating enough Carbohydrates and enough total calories you can definitely spend some periods of time where you're lower carb um, But still doing that sprint training and you can kind of force the metabolism metabolism to to prevent it from sort of down regulating your glycolytic pathways and then you'll still benefit from those carbs uh, when they come back into the diet so I think you know part of the reason why people don't do as well um, on sprints when they're eating low carb despite you know other than the fact that they should probably be eating more carbs is the fact that they avoid that work because they don't do as well at it whereas you can probably actually push that a little bit force yourself um, and then as long as you recover properly that can definitely give you sort of the best of best of all worlds.
1: Yeah, right. So that's a really interesting point. So have you got any thoughts on a time frame there? So if we were going to go low carb, but try to do a little bit more glycolytic to force the adaptation, what sort of a period of time do you think is safe?
0: Oh yeah. So I think, um, I probably wouldn't want to do it more with them for like a couple of weeks yeah because i think that can be really it's going to be really draining and you're not going to really see any benefit there mm. but if you are um playing with ways to cycle your carbohydrate i think you could you know definitely definitely that you know a couple of weeks w- would would be fine um, and you will you will probably experience a, a drop um in performance acutely but that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't benefit you further down the line uh, but obviously this is with always with the caveat that you make sure you're eating enough overall uh, because again you can fall into that trap of just like restricting everything and then you sort of set yourself up for failure.
1: Yes, no more counting calories, you've been told. <laughs> um, I had a question just before when you mentioned um, prolonged. So what is your definition of prolonged aerobic training?
0: Um, I would say anything more than two or three hours. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you can definitely go up to one, two hours very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, you know, maybe you're a particularly big, particularly big guy, got a lot of muscle mass, you know, maybe you want to, um, or girl with a lot of muscle mass, um, and you want to sort of preserve some of that, you know, then you could, you could make that shorter. So anything above an hour, but I think, you know, above sort of two, to three hours is probably what I'd call prolonged.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for clarifying. And so then the other side of the coin I see is still a little bit of the justification, you know, I've done X or I've ridden for 3 hours, therefore I can eat anything and like the floodgates open. So uh-huh. I wanted to sort of get some clar- clarification from you around it doesn't need to be grams um but by all means do that if you would um would like to in terms of post training, how we actually work out how much we need. It's obviously not the pasta party. Um uh-huh. so what is what is some advice to, you know, fine tune what that post-training meal should look like after a glycolytic session
0: yeah so i think for for the low for the low carb athletes Mm. so we should we're focusing on then i think you want at least um half a gram per kilo of body weight so say for most people that's going to be like 30 to 50 grams of carbs um if it was a particularly intense session i would definitely double that Mm. um I think in terms of uh, in terms of protein intake, which is super important, I am less worried about protein immediately after. Um, after training session. And there is some evidence to suggest that actually, if you remain fasted for two or three hours after training session, you might get a a greater increase in growth hormone, testosterone, uh, which might uh, help with adaptation. The other side of that is that we still don't know how much the acute hormone elevations after a period of exercise actually then help with muscle growth and things like that. So, you know, some people really like that. They actually prefer to say fasted for a period of time um but equally if somebody is struggling to maintain total calories then i definitely wouldn't recommend yeah. that um but the, the 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 protein side of things yeah so i worry less about the immediate protein and then just about the the protein that you're getting in So sort of the 24 hours after a particularly uh, intense training session so just making sure you're getting in enough um you know it, the I, I would say that people need at least um a gram per kilo per day if they're trying to be strict keto i would you know for any endurance athlete i would always recommend you know 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilo um and you know if anybody's trying to gain mass then you know you should be up 1.8 to 2.2 grams yeah. per kilo something like that so um it really does depend on uh depend on your goals but if you can get in that um get in after a glycolytic or particularly intense it could be you know equally be um high volume uh reps in, in the gym squats yeah. something like that um then i would certainly you know 0.5 to 1 gram per kilo of carbohydrate and then just make sure you're getting in that total protein over the next uh, 24 hours and that's sort of that's a good place to start and then if you need more calories, then obviously you can make that up with something that has a has a has a fat source in it.
1: Yeah, I love the protein conversation so much when it comes to LCHF, because, you know, again, we've been just drilled with protein for muscle recovery and everyone's got their, you know, shakers with the powder in it carrying around in their bags and you know, athletes are still really um, you know, ingrained in getting to protein straight away. Um, And I think, you know, obviously we know gluconeogenesis is something to be mindful of in a larger sense. But, you know, it's great that you clarify the the role of the carbohydrates and the importance of the fats for the calories because, you know, people are are needing to eat a balanced meal post-training and to stop going for those powders on their own um, because, you know, that's what they've been told for years and years.
0: Yeah, you could definitely, if you do it um, smartly, you can definitely do all of this without have, ever having to take a powder. Mm, um, of course. You know, for some some people that makes things easier, and I have no issue with that. But, you know, equally, if you're doing it with real food, you know, that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I'm a fan of protein powders in in, in their place, but not on their own yeah. with water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. And then just further to this little subtopic, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, say, half gram, so let Uh, of carbohydrates sorry let's say that's 30 grams for someone like myself um but you're saying that after a glycolytic um session that i might need to double that which is 60 grams so imagine if the person is carbophobic and you're telling them to eat 60 grams in a meal when they're probably trying to hit like you know less than 50 a day so This is where it's really important for the athlete to be educated beyond numbers they might find on Google because, you know, (laughs) sub-50 is is everywhere when you look in the keto space. Um, So, you know, I want our athletes to be really aware of the fact they need to periodize their intake with their intensity and it's okay to be above 50 grams a day. You're not going to necessarily affect your fat adaptation if you're doing it smartly. Am I right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and mm. there's there's definitely a risk of going the other way, which is that. Yeah. Um, so. Insulin is basically our our short-term hormone for signaling uh, energy availability. And if, you know, particularly if you are out of energy balance because you're not eating enough and that, you know, and at the same time your insulin is low because you're eating a low carbohydrate diet, your body will think there isn't enough energy going around and then you start to turn down things like sex hormone production and and, uh, thyroid hormone production and, you know, all of these things that you need to be a very high-functioning athlete. So, you know, pushing that system too hard stressing that system too hard is only in the long term going to cause you problems
1: yeah for sure so much gold that we've discussed so just to sort of summarize in terms of grams per day because i think this is a really big um mistake that athletes make um Firstly, do you think there's some confusion between the words keto and LCHF? And is that where we're getting undone with when we decide on how many grams we should be eating per day?
0: Yeah, maybe. Uh, And... I think I think what I see as as being the main problem actually is when uh, people and you know very highly educated experts are talking about uh, keto, LCHF, um, all those related topics, which now include things like time restricted feeding mm. and intermittent I. fasting. Yeah. yeah. When when they talk about that, what they don't give is the context. So what what tends to happen is that somebody comes to me and they are say a CrossFitter. And they eat 50 grams of carbs a day, or less than 50 grams of carbs a day, because uh, Jeff Finney and, uh, Mm -hmm. sorry, um, Jeff Volek and Steve Finney suggested that. And, you know, they also eat 0.6 grams of protein a day because Ron Rosedale says that uh, protein uh, activates mTOR and that causes cancer. And then they also intermittently fast every other day because Jason Fung says they should fast. Now, each of those people in their context is giving you excellent advice, and I would Mm. listen to them, but... Um, Jason Fung is working with uh, people who are, you know, 200 votes. they're yeah. obese they you know if they don't get their blood sugar down soon they will have limbs chopped off right so that is absolutely the th- not eating is definitely what those people should be doing and it works very well you know if we're talking about um longevity and cancer then maybe periods of protein restriction are going to be very important as well as periods of fasting so then that's important too but if you're a hard charging athlete who's training two or three hours a day that's definitely not going to be the case and you know so what happens is these um ideas uh, recommendations are taken out of the context yeah. that the person originally put them together and then they're stuffed together and added to high intensity training and then that's when things start to fall apart. so I think it's it's kind of the advice of experts who are all very good in their own area. Being put together by people who are trying to, really hard to to put the best plan for both health and performance at the same time, and then they sort of get fall into these traps and it ends up all those things are adding up, then causes problems.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of like you know that looking at the human body as um, separate parts. Like I'll do I'll do one and two and three rather than looking at the human body as a whole. And I think that's perhaps what we've looked uh, lost a little bit of sight from when it comes to sort of biohacking and athletes looking for, you know, every little one percenter. You know, I'm all yeah. for optimising performance, but I think we need to remember the, the um, orchestra that our body is um, <laughs> and to look at everything as a whole rather than individual pieces. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, fascinating. Um, awesome. Awesome. I could talk to you forever, but I um I do want to to um switch gears just quickly um because I want to hear more about your MCT powder. I haven't tried it myself, but I've been um dying to speak to you about it. So can you tell us a little bit sure. more about what you've created?
0: Yeah, definitely. So uh, this. This was kind of dreamt up by myself and Chris Kelly, who's the co-founder of Nourish Balance Thrive. And he um, he is a professional mountain biker or professional level mountain biker. He doesn't get paid to do it, but he sort of races at the elite level in, in the U.S. Um, and he has a very long and protracted health journey that basically um, ended up with no doctors being able to, f- uh, to fix his messed up gut, poor libido, brain fog, all that kind of stuff that, you know, we talk a lot about, um, he managed to fix it himself through functional medicine and then started Nourish Balance Thrive essentially because he was hoping he could help other athletes do the same thing. Um, and so he has, you know, so he's kind of, he's low carb, he's not keto, um, Anymore, anymore. Um,
1: main,
0: mainly because I spent so much, so much time telling him to eat some carbs. Oh, I followed
1: um, that journey closely. I knew it would happen. I'm very happy to see.
0: Yeah, and I think, and I definitely think that it has benefited him, even though he he just admits it uh, begrudgingly. Um, but so so he has a very sensitive gut. He can't eat dairy. Can't eat grains. Um, and you know most of the and but you know we do like in the right context MCT oil. Mm-hmm. Um, either the oil itself or the powders, the powders definitely seem to be easier on the digestion. Um, And, but the problem is that other MCT powders, they have um, maybe maltodextrin in, maybe they have, um, which which is like a high GI carbohydrate, or maybe they have like a sodium caseinate, which is obviously dairy protein, which, you know, uh, Chris will tell you very explicitly that when he has um, uh, Quest uh, uh, MCT powder, you know, very bad things happen to his digestion. (laughs) So, so we basically tried to create an MCT powder that didn't have those things in it. And what we have is fat fiber, which is basically, so the first version we made was 50, 50 MCT oil and a digestion uh, resistant uh, starch. And Then we did, we actually did a study on it, which we've published, um, basically looking at the uh, the blood ketones, blood insulin, blood glucose in response to like a a big, you know, couple of big heaped tablespoons of the fat fiber. And what we saw was the ketones go up, um, insulin goes up like a tiny little bit, uh, glucose goes up a tiny little bit, but um, we actually refined it further. So now it's 70% C8, so the shorter MCT uh, that's definitely more. It promotes more ketone production and and less of the fiber. Um, and so now you know you get you get a pretty decent bump in ketones, like say half a millimolar if if you have um, a couple of tablespoons. But nothing happens to blood glucose. But we know that some of that fiber is actually digestible, um, and that's going to give you like a, even though it doesn't affect blood glucose, it's going to give you a sort of a slow uh, drip of that carbohydrate source, which can then be used. To uh, meta- better metabolize the ketones or, or the fats that you're burning elsewhere, so we, we definitely think that it's a good kind of uh, combination of something that's going to uh, promote uh, a fat-based metabolism, but then help you do that. Um, and we have a we have a few guys uh, that you know who use it during race days. Uh, we have one guy actually. Um, who we're sponsoring as he runs the length of America. So he's going to run from LA to New York along Route 66 um, and actually the, a podcast with him is going to come out Chris's podcast next week. Um, and so during the runs themselves, um, he's sort of elected to have fat fiber as one of his major fuel sources. So, we, you know, we're sort of very excited to, to see how that works out. But, you know, it's been very popular, doesn't give people any GI distress um, and a lot of sort of the low carb type athletes are really enjoying it. Um, and that's obviously like self-promotion because we sort of made it ourselves but you know we're, we're pretty happy with what we put together
1: yeah and obviously i know a lot of work went into it and you know most people that have had too much mct oil know what happens if you if you do you know and i have plenty of athletes if they have more than a teaspoon there you know in the bushes so obviously it's, you know you guys have worked pretty hard to, to avoid those um gi challenges
0: Yeah, and, you know, you could definitely, if you got the same amount of, you know, people who couldn't take a teaspoon Mm. could get the same equivalent amount of MCT in the powder, you know, that would be maybe like a teaspoon and a half. And, I mean, I'm fairly confident they wouldn't see any GI distress whatsoever because we have yet to see that.
1: Fascinating. And would you suggest combining this with a carbohydrate source? Because, obviously, it's um, pretty low-carb.
0: Yes, definitely. So yeah. I, I think the best combination actually is gonna be something like fat fiber plus you can yeah. plus maybe a small amino acid source. Yeah. Um and like so a chain?
1: What,
0: yeah, um either branch chain or essential amino acids. Yeah. Um Branch chains are great. Um, some people prefer essential amino acids. Um, there's like the the master amino acid pattern now called Perfect Amino that a lot a lot of people use. Endurance athletes use, and I actually think, you know, particularly and for you know again for very very prolonged, so I'm talking like five six hours, maybe you know half Ironman Ironman type distances. Um, then I think the best combination is actually going to be those three things, um, and we're definitely trying that with 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 trying that out with some people, and, and it definitely seems to be working well.
1: I love that and definitely, you know, from a health point of view, you're obviously then avoiding anything refined or high in sugar um, and what I love about it is that it really translates from a portability point of view. So even multi-stages and those, you know, day events, I think, you know, it, the combination is going to be really, really beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely and, and I think um... – yeah, if, if, especially multi-day. You know, you mm. you want to make sure that you're uh, refueling, uh, but you don't want to necessarily take a, a metabolic hit from throwing back loads of vitargo and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the maltodextrin <laughs> gels and things. So, so I definitely think it's gonna it, it, it could give a good a, a good balance, definitely.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well done, you guys. You must be really proud of it, and your study is. Um, obviously peer-reviewed and validated so um that's always really really good to attach to a product because some products it's hard to you know separate the hype from the marketing and so on
0: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely Absolutely. um and actually uh so I have to credit my uh, fiance Elizabeth for that because so she's, she's also a, a scientist and I was writing up, I was writing up a blog. So, so we, we got the data from some guys, you know, we, we collected all their insulin, glucose, ketone data from people who took the fat fiber and I was writing up a blog post and she was like, well, why didn't you write an actual paper? Um, and so that's what I did. And then it got published. So I definitely have to give some credit there because otherwise, I mean, a blog post would have been fine, but it's definitely not quite the same, uh, in terms of credibility.
1: And the journal of insulin resistance. Very good. Yes. Awesome. And then finally, I just wanted you to share, um, with us, you know, how, um, anyone listening can find out more about what you do in terms of working with athletes. Um, so tell us more about your programs at Nourish, Balance, Thrive, and then direct us to your online home.
0: Yeah, So we have something we call the elite performance program. Um, And it's essentially after working with, you know, hundreds of athletes over, you know, a few years now, we basically figured out all the stuff that we were doing with the people that got the best results. Uh, And that included um, the lifestyle interventions, uh, the tests that we did, and the supplements that people got. And that was always, you know, that's the supplements are always based on what we find on tests. So it's in, incredibly personalized. Um, and so we basically put that, that all together into a program and that's now pretty much the only way we'll work with people just because we know that that's what, what's going to get us the best results. So we want people to, to get the most out of working with us and that's the, the that's the best way to do it. Yes. So, you know, you can, if you go to the the front page of our website, it's nourishbalancethrive.com and then there's a big button you can press Uh, the elite performance program and you know we call it the elite performance program but it's basically anybody who just wants to perform better so it doesn't need to be an elite athlete and most of the people are not elite athletes but they are all performing better which is what we want um and so uh what was i gonna say people can yeah people can can find us there and can if you know anybody wants to talk to us about working with us we always do a free initial consultation so you can speak to one uh, one of us one of the coaches um and figure out what will work best for you so you know we don't expect people to just sign up willy-nilly definitely talk to us about your goals and whether we can help you with those um and then uh, the other thing that i did want to mention is i have a recent email series that i've put together uh, called the highlights email series and um it's it's basically uh, once a week you'll get something in your inbox and I know everybody has loads of emails in their inbox but I basically I put together an email every week which is one actionable thing you can put into your weekly routine with references to back it up. Uh, One thing that we've seen like the health space that we uh, disagree with or want to give a different opinion on based on like the underlying physiology, biochemistry, how we understand it. And then just like one really awesome thing that we saw. And it's usually um, somebody who's producing some awesome content, you know, somebody who's doing great work, um, just because we like to promote the work of other people doing good work. You know, there are loads of them out there and people should know more about them. So uh, definitely if you go to the website um, one of the first things that pops up will be a box that gets you to put in your email address and all that does is signs you up for my highlights email so nothing more um, uh, more scary than that so definitely recommend that if people are interested in sort of the work that we're doing and that will give you the best way to figure out how we're how we're working with athletes to make them perform better
1: yeah awesome I get that in my inbox and it's really really succinct and Certainly doesn't take a lot of time to read but has some really, really great information in it. So head to the show notes team for all the links that um, Tommy and I have explored today. Thanks so much for joining us again on the show, Tommy. I always love chatting with you and, yeah, look forward to speaking again really soon.
0: Yeah, thank you. Likewise. It's been great.
1: Awesome. Chat soon.